Welcome to the Fencing Podcast. I'm Sean, and yet again in this episode, we have no Gav, because it's all about the interviews. On my recent visit to the Liam Paul Fencing Centre in London, where I was very well looked after by our lovely sponsors, Liam Paul, I met up with Britain's two leading foilists. My first interview is with Kate Beardmore, Britain's number one women's foilist, and her brother and coach, Alex. In my second interview, I catch up with Richard Cruz, Britain's number one men's foilist, world number four, uh, and a man with a tremendous track record at world level. I hope you enjoy the interviews very much. I certainly did. And I look forward to seeing you again after the World Championships in Wuji, where hopefully we'll have great results from both Kate and Richard to report on. See you soon. Kate and Alex, welcome to the Fencing Podcast. Hi. Hi. <laughs> so got here today because I've got loads of questions for you. Um, so let's start with the, with the easy one then. How, how did you start fencing? Um, I started, it was uh, much like most things, it was Alex's fault. Uh, <laughs> Great kids. We were, we were homeschooled as kids and uh, my mum wanted to give us an element of PE, if you will. My brother chose sword fighting, he wanted to do the fencing. I think I chose ballet, but never really happened, probably for the best. Um, and so he started going to club when we were younger. Uh, I had to turn up, had no choice. Started fencing as soon as I was old enough. Again, had no choice. <laughs> um, it wasn't really proper fencing when I was younger. It was more just messing around, enjoying it. Um, and then I got a bit older, started competing. Absolutely hated it. Never wanted to do it again. Got to about 14. I was like, I've had enough. Don't like it. I'm done. Right. So I sort of stepped back from fencing. And then it's actually when I stepped back, I realized how much I enjoyed it and how much I missed it and kind of what I was doing. So I sort of came back when I was about 14, 15, and that's when I started taking it seriously, um, started getting up stupidly early, doing a lot of training, a lot of, yeah, fencing, and here I am now. So yeah. not the usual story. No, that, that's sort of different <laughs> from the usual one, actually. Uh, most people want to be a, a Jedi or, um, I don't know, Errol Flynn. That was me, yeah. I, I, I tried many different sports and found that I couldn't kick a ball in a straight line and couldn't hold a tennis racket to save my life. So decided to try fencing because it was sword fighting yeah. and it kind of spiralled out of control from there and <laughs> never stopped since. Yeah. So Kate, you talked about um, getting more serious about your training when you came came back to about 14 or 15. So what, what does your training look like now? Now it's just a bit of everything really. Um, I mean, I'm quite lucky. I've been given a lot of training opportunities. I've had to sort of find a lot of training opportunities also. Um, so I train usually between five and six days a week, depending on my competition schedule. And I do anything from plyometrics, weights and stuff over at Lee Valley. Um, and then in, uh, here at Hendon, um, the Liverpool Centre, I do sparring. I have lessons with my brother. Um, then in Archway, we have another club and fighting fit. Um, do more sparring, footwork, all sorts of stuff over there. Um, and then when I'm at home, I have like a lunch pad. I have, I do running sprints during the local tennis court. So it's kind of just finding whatever I can and sort of hopefully putting it together in some sort of schedule yeah. <laughs> and a plan. So, yeah. So did it take you a while to put all that, that training together? Because I spoke to Georgina Usher a um, couple of episodes ago about how she put together her program. So the same sort of process of finding, yeah, it took a long finding time. support that you need to to get the best program for you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, originally I started going back to saying when I started taking it seriously about 15, I started um, going down to my club during the morning um, work when we had like a, our own venue. 
um, and I would get up, get the first train at like 5.30 a.m., go down. Um, it's just me, so I just kind of looked like an idiot doing footwork. I tied myself to a pillar. I did all, like, trying to do some sort of resistance work. Um, the builders used to watch his glass walls. I thought it was hilarious. Um, that's where it really started, um, doing that sort of by myself. And then I was very lucky that we were put in touch with an SNC coach, uh, John Herbert. He uh, does athletics coach. So I got from there, I got to go to the Valley now, I go there a few times a week, weight sessions, things like that. Um, and then with my old coach, I was able to come to Leon Paul um, back when the training was there with Andre. And uh, he was great to me. He let me join in. He let me fence with the big guys. And like, that was a big thing. Like I was here fencing with the Olympic team. Um, and that's when that really started fencing here during the day. So it was kind of a very slow climb to where I am now. But luckily now everyone's very accepting. So I can just sort of wander anywhere and they'll let me fence them, which is quite nice. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So Alex, as well as being Kate's coach, you have a a number of other roles in the sport, you know, competitive fencer yourself, although I think less so these days. Yeah. Um, I must admit, when I was a fencer, I would say that I never really achieved the heights that I was hoping to. I always had that aspiration. I think a lot of young fencers have of going to the world championships and at a senior level and competing at a high level. And unfortunately, due to a little bit of my own incompetence and also a little bit of other things happening at the same time, I got an injury that was long-term. Right. And again, this is my own incompetence came into it. I decided that my injury wasn't as major as it should have been and kind of put it on the back burner <laughs> and kept training, which then resulted in me getting a surgery on my knee, which meant that I could no longer train at yeah. full capacity. Um, so I must admit, I've fenced a few times and I got beaten up by one of my 10-year-olds that I trained recently. <laughs> so I thought that's a, that's a good indication that I should probably be focusing a little bit more on, on, the, on the coaching and refereeing side, which is where I spend most of my time now and probably where most people know me as, as, the, as the referee and, and, and coach double role. Yeah, certainly. Um, I spoke to you, I, I can't I think it was a great competition somewhere in Europe about, because at that point, I think you were just about to do your FIE exams. Yes, right? I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, 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 my, my, my refereeing kind of a bit like m- most of the things in my fencing career, kind of by chance, I met a, a, a wonderful man called David Baker, who he kind of said, well, have you thought about refereeing when I was about 12? And I gave it a try and he got me my level one. And I just kept practicing, practicing, practicing. And um, I then got my level two. But at the time, there was no clear pathway in British fencing of once I've got my level two, that was obvious to me, but I didn't know how to get the level three or how to get the level four or so on. And so I must admit, I just kept refereeing, but not really mm-hmm. taking any exams, um, refereeing abroad and, and at home. And uh, I ended up taking a uh, an exam in... Denmark, which got me their highest qualification, Nordic qualification. Oh, right, okay. And I must admit, I feel quite bad because it was a three-day course. Over, It was on a training camp, but I was more focused on fencing. And on the last day of the refereeing course, I panicked, realized I hadn't signed up, ran to the examiners and said, can I take the exam? And they said, well, you're going to fail, but you can try. <laughs> and then I was one of only two people that passed the course. So right. I don't know what that says about their refereeing course. But uh, <laughs> but no, I, I do think that it was a, it was a lovely coincidence. And, and uh, Mads in Denmark has been one of my mentors through the years as well which I met at that camp and he's helped me throughout my refereeing um, and then from there the British fencing refereeing pathway did start and it's now a wonderful thing that's working very well yeah. and when that first started I signed on to it and with my Nordic qualification which was their equivalent of a level 4 here mm. um, I was awarded a level 4 and then there was a mock FIE exam which I 
decided to sign up for, which was incredibly beneficial and one of the biggest helps I've had in my refereeing career, being able to sit down and speak to a very high level referee and he said, okay, this is how the exam works. We're going to do some test questions and you're going to see how it all works there. Um, And from that, I got told that I'd probably be taking my exam within the next year, more than likely at the World Championships in Plodiv. About a month after that, I got a phone call from British Fencing saying, a place has come up, there's an exam in nine days, you're going. (laughs) And... uh, off I toddled and I ended up taking my exam and thankfully I passed and became the world's youngest foil FIE referee. Oh, I didn't realise that. That's um, so I, I believe at the time I was the youngest. I think I'm still still the youngest. And I think going back, because it's a, I must admit something that my mum loves doing is going back through history and checking results. Yeah. And she could find I was the youngest that she's been able to find. So uh, I'm probably going to be annoying somebody and somebody be, ah, no, it's, it's wrong there. But from what we've managed to find... I am the youngest FA. As far as you're aware, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll take that. No, that's a, that's, so, oh, that's a great yeah. achievement. I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, as well as your refereeing, you know, head coach of Fighting Fit. Yeah. Uh, your your sister's coach. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's uh, that was. Uh, I must admit, it was a bit, a bit, a bit of an interesting start. Um, I became head coach a year ago at, at Fighting Fit, about May time, 2017. Um, but I'd been working as a coach in the club for four or five years yeah. previously, and I've been working mainly with the younger ones, which are now our older ones, and a lot of our social adults are trying to get them into a more of a competitive side. But I also had a few of the old offences that were almost working exclusively with me, which is um, people like Kate and Eloise and my younger sister Emily. They were yeah. working mainly with me at the time anyway. Um and I must admit, I, I'll be perfectly honest, I didn't want to be head coach straight away. I was <laughs> I wanted to take my refereeing for a few more years first and yeah. take the head coach role in a few years' time. But our previous coach, Ludo, got offered a job of a lifetime in America and I have I only wish him the best. It's one of those times jobs when it comes up, you you take it. Yeah, you can't um, you, 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 you can't you can't say no. Yeah. It's not gonna come up again. Um so I kind of got thrust unceremoniously into the into the head coach role. And um yeah, we've been been working together as a club since, and the club's been growing and building, and our results have been, by the looks of it, anyway. I hope have been have been going up and, and been improving. So I'm I'm very happy with the, where the club is now, and, and yeah, yep. Um, so, so, Kate, how how do you find it working with working with your big brother? Well, <laughs> at first it was. No, the you can worst. you can choose. You can you can be an entirely truthful answer, <laughs> or you can be really diplomatic since he's sitting right next to you. Uh, truthful. I was going to say, yeah, truthful. Not, we, we only not. do things truthfully. Um, yeah, so at first it was the worst. Um, <laughs> I really could only see him as the annoying big brother. He used to chase me around with a BB gun and try and shoot me. <laughs> um, and so that's kind of all I saw um, was kind of this just annoying brother. Um, and I was like, this is not going to work. I'm not sure if this is going to work. And then I kind of, I, I, I mean, obviously he's a great co- coach. I knew that, but I just didn't know how I was going to change the relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, all from my point of view, but there's nothing really to do with him from how I saw him. Um, but I sort of realized that I kind of was thinking very negatively and I kind of flipped that on the positive side. And here is this coach who already knows me inside out, who already knows what I want, knows how hard I'm going to get there, like work to get there. So why not? It's kind of a lot easier than going to find another coach. Yeah, it's got a lot of positives. Yeah. So there are the positives. And then all of a sudden, it was almost like this sort of overnight change that he's no longer the boy who broke my lava lamp. And I will never I, forgive you for breaking my lava I lamp. Break your lava lamp. You I've broke my no, lava lamp. No, no, that's, there's no proof. There's you're, definitely you're no forgiving proof. Soul <laughs> I know people that would never forgive that. Um, 
um, yeah. So, um, and now he's just kind of this coach who wants to help me and I know only has my best interest at heart, interest at heart. Um, and yeah, it's just a lot easier now, actually. I think we work together well because we have that bond. It's kind of, I can tell him the truth. If I'm not feeling great, I'll tell him I'm not feeling great for whatever reason. Or if I'm feeling good, I can tell him this and that and that. And he sort of gets me. I think it's, yeah, it's a lot easier now. And I think it works well together now, but it was, it was a rocky start. I was going to say, I think the first (laughs) six months together were difficult I think is the best way and diplomatic way of putting it Um, but we've now worked out that there's sometimes as Kate said that we can say to each other you know what today's not the day and I must admit there will be still sometimes a little bit of siblingness comes out and it will be a little bit of oh you know but mum said that you had to put the things out last time you didn't do it and now we're both in trouble for it or whatever it is there's there's, there's always small little things that, that pop up but we've now got to that point where I feel like that we are working professionally while still keeping our Bond. bond as it were and yeah. um yeah i mean we, we now got to the point of me and kate are working very well together but also emily's from i think end of june emily will be training full-time yeah. just as kate will my younger sister emily yeah. so that merry-go-round is going to start all again and she's <laughs> yeah. got to learn it all the same stuff that we, we've had to deal with and it'll be a, a third sibling that's going to be yeah. with us five six days a week as well mm-hmm. alice i want to ask you as well about uh about your coach education because you took the FIE's coaching diploma in Budapest. Yes, I did. Yes, I, um, did. I know a few um, people from from Britain who've done that. Uh, my own coach education spent quite a bit of time in Budapest too. So tell me what what that was like. Oh yeah, the the, the FIE started a new a, a new coach education program which they were putting their FIE stamp on, which I believe there was before there was FIE endorsed, but this was the first one that had the seal of approval. And I was on the first cohort that went off and tried to kind of learn as we were going along. And I must admit, I was absolutely thrilled to get accepted onto the course, but at the same time, I was also really, really nervous. Um, If nothing else, I'd never spent that long away in a foreign country before, so it'd be interesting learning languages, learning places to go, getting used to the food and and that kind of thing. Yeah, so Um, three three months worth of... It was, yeah, three months. Very intensive training. Exactly. And um, we we were... I must admit, I can't speak for the other weapons, but in foil, we worked from nine till five with about 45 minutes to an hour for lunch, and it was all that time we were doing something. Yeah. Um, I'm it's the first time in my life I've had a nine to five. It was quite <laughs> odd having evenings free for the first time in my life. Put, put you off it uh, for the rest of your life. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, but no, whatever we were doing, we would either be working on the start of the course, we were working on how to teach four, five-year-olds all the way through. By the end of the course, we were reaching how to train at a world-class level, including one day where we weren't allowed to talk to each other. The coach encouraged us to work effectively either using our native tongues or not speaking to each other at all so you could get used to working with somebody that didn't speak your language yeah. um, because of course sometimes when you work with a seven-year-old on a training camp they don't speak english mm-hmm. um and trying to take us out of our comfort zone and every day what it, regardless of what day it was every day we worked on some kind of fencing theory or we had um lectures from the budapest university of physical education came in and worked on sports sciences on how to manage clubs on how to work with kids everything you can possibly imagine they kind of threw in there so every day there was more than just waggling the forward around at each other um and whilst there was a few bits that i must admit in my opinion were slightly old-fashioned like being told that um ladies bones are too weak to do flicks (laughs) and (laughs) plenty of evidence suggests that's not actually that's what we were trying to raise uh and a few things like that there's also some things that i still use on a daily basis now and i've i've learned things that i'll that I will be forever grateful to the course for. And I've made friends that I still keep in touch with. And my suit, my, my current partner, we met together in Budapest and she now lives in London with me. So it's, okay. it's more than just fencing. I got out of that course. That's for sure. 
Right. Right. Now, Kate, you're still still a young fencer, despite uh, despite the sort of professionalism that you bring to it, which I think is unusual in most sort of like most fencers in Britain your age. Um, but this is your first full season as a as a yeah. senior fencer. So, how have you found the the transition from from juniors to seniors? Uh, in a way, it's been a lot easier than I expected, funnily enough. Um, I was very lucky to be able to go to a few World Cups, I think the Grand Prix, when I was still last year junior, second yeah. last year junior. So I sort of had a taste. I sort of knew what it was going to be like. Mm. Um, and so on that ele- ele- element, it was fine. Um, I sort of knew what I wanted to do. I knew how hard I have to work now to get to yeah. the level I want to get to. You sort of see... Um, and it's it's a whole new level. <laughs> it's I mean it's very different to junior, um, but yeah, I've really enjoyed my season so far. It's a great learning experience. Um, I mean, there have been the ups and downs. Unfortunately, I have been a bit injured, so I haven't had the ideal season. Um, and for me, I think the hardest part was sort of not having a team all of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, when the girls do come to the competitions, we're great. Um, unfortunately, due to their commitments, they haven't been the sort of same team throughout the whole of the season. Yeah. Um, and there have definitely been quite a few competitions to where I've gone to and I've just been completely alone. Yeah. Um, and when you're sitting, eating your dinner alone, you've got the yeah. Russian team on one side, the Italian team on the other. It does affect you. <laughs> and you are the, the, <laughs> the one-person British team. Yeah. Yeah, the one. Um, so I must admit, I enjoy Grand Prix a lot because the boys are really supportive. And then when the girls are there, it's great. Yeah. It's brilliant. So um, hopefully in the next few seasons, we'll build up a sort of a bigger team girls to go to every single competition that will be that yeah. be the goal yeah. yeah I would hope so I yeah. would hope so too definitely definitely um, so what's the biggest difference you've, you've found between juniors and seniors I mean it's a, a transition that certainly I've talked about as being a, a difficult one for a lot of fencers what's um, honestly I know, you, I know you found it you said it, it felt yeah. okay because you've done you've yeah. done some of them uh, in your sort of final year as a junior but uh, I think there is a kind of noticeable difference um yeah, I think for sure there's a notable dif- noticeable difference. But for me, my goal from a young age has always been to be successful in senior. Mm. Um, I obviously being successful as a junior would have been nice, but I was quite a sort of late developer, quote unquote. Um, so I didn't really feel like sort of juniors was my time. I was already looking forward to seniors. Right. Um, so I think the hardest thing for me actually is the financial side of it. Junior competitions, a lot of them are in Europe. They're quite local. You can sort of do yeah. them. It's a one-day thing. You sort of pop in and out and you're home again. Whereas, <laughs> obviously, um, going to like a World Cup in Mexico or something, you're there for a week. Then you have the – it's over two days and you have the team event. So it's just a lot more financially. I think that's been the hardest change for me is trying to – obviously, my parents have been amazing. I have had to work a, a lot, but it's that's been the hardest part for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, finding the money, yeah, it's a yeah. persistent problem. I mean, were you you were involved in the world-class program at the very end of it? Yes, I just started to uh, started to get a little bit of support from the world-class program. Um, not a lot, unfortunately, um, but it was, it was amazing while it lasted. Yes, yeah. I really enjoyed sort of the team element of it, sort of we'd turn up, there'd be a coach there, regimented training, there's always help there, there'd be physios there, S&C coaches, that's what I loved. Mm. not just the sort of money element of it. It was just the feeling like a team, feeling like there was someone there to push me, to help me. And obviously I have that now. I, I have that a lot, but it's it's a lot easier when it's sort of there already, if that makes yeah. sense, having yeah, to go and find it. Yeah. Um, 
So that's that's what I miss the most. Um, saying that, though, I think British fencing have done amazingly for all of us, like amazingly well, considering what they have now. Yeah. I'm, yeah, they've yeah, supported change, us change so change. much. Yeah, they've supported us so much. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, certainly, uh, as I say, I spoke to Georgina yeah, a few Georgina weeks ago especially. that uh, yeah. she, she understands how difficult that is and yeah. does want to make it as, as yeah. easy as possible. Yeah. Um, so you did mention, you mentioned an injury there. Um, yes. Uh, I'll not try and describe the injury, although I think I know what it is, but please tell, tell us what you did to yourself <laughs> and uh, and how your recovery is going. Um, so September time, I think sort of pre-season, September, yeah. Um, yeah, I got a little bit trigger happy with the flicks. I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to be the best. I wanted to do it. Um, sort of basically overworked my, um, wrist. I uh, developed a type of tendonitis in my wrist. Um, and that was just ongoing. Um, it just went on forever. Sort of, I'd have a few weeks off and everything would be fine. Happy days. Go back to training a week later. Exactly back to where I started. Yeah. Um, and it was a lot of bills, a lot of everything. It was a bit of a nightmare. Um, we sort of did the best we could. And then thankfully in April, I was cleared to have a steroid injection. Right. Um, I had that sort of like a brand new arm. It's been brilliant so far. <laughs> <laughs> um, the only thing is that it's just been a little bit weak, obviously not being able to train yeah. properly for a good few months. So that's the only thing now is building up strength and then should be back to where I was last September. Good stuff. Time. Good stuff. Um, So now we're reaching that stage of the season where major championships are looming. Uh, Europeans in just a couple of weeks now, really, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, two weeks, yeah. And then the world championships are very close. a few weeks after that. Yeah, so um, your preparation for major championships, I know you fenced the Europeans last year uh, at senior level. Is this different? Does that make it... I suppose it's kind of hard to say when you've had a, an injury-disrupted season, but does your preparation for a major championship differ from what you do for the rest of the year? Uh, yes. Um, more so, I think, I, I wouldn't say I differ, but I think it's kind of... It's always been on our, on our radar. And when we start at the beginning of the season, we plan out our periodization for where the season's going to go and we have our peaks. And we, we, we didn't obviously guarantee that Kate was going to make the Europeans, but we had a fair inkling that she would do after qualifying the year before and being number one, there was a, a good chance. So we'd already included the Europeans in our, in our periodization to try and make sure she was at her performance. But of course, everything kind of got thrown out the window as soon as we found out about the injury. So it's yeah. now been trying to refocus it. And I must admit, our our main focus that we've been working on fencing-wise and also I know the SNC coach has been working on has been trying to get that wrist back up to complete full strength, ready for Europeans. So she's able to go and make the performance the best that she can do. Um, and so before it would be starting to taper down, if anything, we're now picking up a little bit more yeah. than we would have been planning to. Still trying to get up to full, full it, speed. Exactly. Yeah. And also with the wonderful announcement that we'll be taking a full team, um, trying to practice for team events as well, because again, that's a completely different <laughs> kettle of fish to yeah. a, um, to an individual event. So trying to focus on getting a team. Yeah. A focus. A team exactly. And, those, and those so trying to add that in, which has been, uh, a bit of a challenge, but at the same time, working on fives, working on tactics for team matches and all that kind of thing has been, been our focus. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Um, mentioned briefly about you, your role as head coach at, at Fighting Fit and you fencing there. Uh, it's, it's a family business. I mean, your, your parents yes, are the, the owners of the club. Um, I suppose you kind of almost, for most of your time in fencing, apart from the sort of very early days, you've kind of grown up within this sort of family atmosphere. I know you do some of your training now here at the Leon Paul Centre, but yep. uh, 
I mean, I asked you about you know working with each other as as coach and fencer. What's what's it like working with the uh, working with your parents? I, I think sometimes, as always with family, I think there would sometimes be some challenges, of course, um, and there's some differences of opinion. So whether that's something as small as I decide tonight we're doing a footwork exercise and then it was, well, actually, we've already told people doing a blade work exercise. Right. It can be as small as that. Sometimes it can be, I think there's a, a, a slightly bigger point, which is I've suggested that some of the fences have some time off and then there's a discussion about whether they should have the time off in that time or not. Mm-hmm. But we include the other coaches in that and that's more than just a family business. That is, I think, just yeah. being a coaching team. It's just slightly different when your your parents are sitting there next to you rather, rather, than, yeah. rather than your bosses. But other than that, there's no real difference, I feel, than, than, than a normal club. The only thing I would say, though, that we try and carry over, and it's going to sound incredibly cheesy, but we try and keep the club as an extended family. Mm. Yeah. And the joke my dad always makes, which is only half a joke is he spends more time in the fencing club than he does in his living room. So he's yeah. not going to have somebody in the fencing club that he wouldn't have in his living room. And we have that atmosphere at the club. So whether we've got a, a youth competition coming up for some of our young school fencers, just an in-house competition. And we've already got some of the social adults, the parents of the older elite members. They're all coming to help with catering, helping clipping on. Yeah. Even if it's just greeting the parents of the kids that have never been outside their school before, mm-hmm. they're all there to help and they all want to help. And we try and keep that atmosphere going at, at kind of any cost. Yeah. Um, and that's our, our main goal is that we, we try and be a friendly club at all times. Yeah, it's one of the essential yeah. things for a, a successful club. To me, club. Yeah, that's almost as, just as important, if not more important than results. Yeah. Sort of having that sort of vibe where you can sort of go in. I mean, I go in and there's loads of little kids and they're just lovely I mean some of them can be a little bit cheeky but (laughs) surely not (laughs) majority of time yeah it's lovely okay so well I'm originally I was going to ask this as a a single question for for one so what what are your long term ambitions in the sport then I'll I'll, I'll let Kate go first and then I can Um, can well I think for me it's very kind of obvious I've made it quite clear I want I want it all I want the <laughs> Olympics I want major championship medals that's the that's the goal that's the dream for me but aside from just my own goals I would love to give back to the sport um, especially from a female point of view because I feel like I haven't necessarily had it hard at all but I want it to be even easier for the younger generations you know I've had every now and then you've oh we shouldn't be doing this why don't you go do something else and I want there to be a voice for the young girl saying you are you can do this and all you need is hard work and we will help you for the rest of the way sort of thing I just I want it to be yeah a lot more easy I think maybe I have a little bit of heart in this mainly because my sister's younger and she's going through a lot of the similar things so that yeah that for me would be the ultimate goal is just make it as inaccessible sport for any kind of girl even if it's just social you know we have some girls at the club who are very social they just go there kind of just for a bit of fun a bit of sport but mainly there's sort of this group of friends overwhelming like sort of group of like yeah this little group of friends and they're all ages all backgrounds everything they really love just to come together and that if i could sort of project that countrywide that would be amazing for me yeah, so that's kind of the goal. That's, that's a great ambition, really, a lot. And I was going to say, that's, that's a hard, hard act to follow. Um, I must admit, it's more, I, I'd like to keep the club growing. I'd like to improve. And again, this is illusions of grandeur, possibly, but I'd like to keep the sport growing as a whole across the country. I feel that this season, I've been to every one of the senior World Cups that Kate's been to. I've been with her, other than with the exception of Algiers. And um, I've been with team with the, with the ladies working as trying to get them together and again as, as Kate mentioned previously it's sometimes difficult which perfectly understandable people have commitments but 
I think every event we have a different team. We haven't had the same team for Even any not exactly of, the same not team, the exact no. same team. We've had some of the same fences, but never the exact same team throughout the season. And I'd like to get to a point where, as Kate said, we've got a women's foil or any weapon, really, a team that can feel like, yeah, actually, you know what? I can say this season, I'm going to do every World Cup. I'm going to go to every team event and we're going to be a unified team. Yeah. Um, on a slightly lesser extent, um, the club itself has been growing over the last year and I'd like to keep that growth. We've expanded our amount of the youth sex as we've had with the kids. We are social adults have had a, um, what we call an adult performance program. Mm. Um, and we've had a few people there. We had one lady make from the top 40 to the top 10 in the country in under a year. So expanding on that and, and keep the elite side of the club going. And, uh, I must admit my, Main goal, of course, is world domination. You know, that's, always, that's always the way to go. That's always the ultimate plan. Uh, but no, I, I, I really, I really would like to see the see the club and and the sport across the country grow. And I do feel it's one of those ones. Anyone you speak to, you say, "Oh, I do fencing," and they always get on guard and start waggling their finger yeah. about. And it's then harnessing that. And I mean, why, why not say that we could have a sport that maybe not as popular as football, but I could see us at least as popular as cricket or tennis if not around that same kind of level that everybody knows about fencing in the back of their mind and has possibly done it at some point and that would be my end goal is try and get the whole country moving forwards internationally but also domestically as well yeah Great. Well, guys, thanks very much indeed for, for taking the time out. Oh, thank uh, you for having us. You're busy days. Well, I'm having you. I'm a visitor. I'm a visitor <laughs> here at the William Paul Centre. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thanks very thank much. You. Thank, thank you very much. much. Thank you. Richard, welcome to the Fencing Podcast. Thank you. I'm going to ask you the same question I ask almost everybody for these interviews. Yep. So how did you start fencing? I started fencing at 10, and I tried a lot of sports at the time because I was a bit of a hyperactive kid. I used right. to I used to always get into fights, you see. When my parents would take me to the science museum or school <laughs> fate, I'd always get into a fight. And they thought <laughs> if they could channel this energy into sport, it might be a good idea. So I was sent to loads of different sports. I, I did a bit of tennis for a while, a bit of football, karate for about three years. And then uh, fencing was just another one that cropped up that they decided they wanted to send me to. And the reason fencing cropped up was because my sister was the same age as Jamek's uh, first daughter. And he lived in the neighborhood. So they went to the same music group, I think. And as a result, Jamek encouraged me to come to the club. My parents thought it was a good idea. And it was just another sport they wanted me to try. So Uh, complete coincidence, really. Fencing found me. I didn't find fencing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So you mentioned that Jamek was your your first coach, your mm. introducer to to fencing, if you like, and you're a kind of a rare bird these days, and that you've been a a one coach fencer for your entire time in the sport. Well, yeah, but I was very lucky as well because from day one I had someone who was already the coach of the Olympic team. I mean, yeah. Jamek had just come back from uh, the Barcelona Olympics two years before that, and Fiona McIntosh had made a top eight. I started in '94. And Jamek, you know, he's a very established coach at that time. Yeah. So I never had the awkward moment of having to leave my first coach in order to, you know, pursue yeah, the knowledge elsewhere, which, yeah. which is quite awkward, isn't it? But yeah. I never actually had to do that. So that was very lucky. So how, how would you describe your, your relationship with Jamek? I mean, that's what, 25 years? No, just under 24. Right. Yeah. Next year will be a quarter of a century. <laughs> Where did it go, eh? Um, no, great working relationship. You know, um, we turn up to training, we're very professional, we're on time, we get it done. He's got incredible passion for fencing. He's got an incredible library as well uh, in his house of fencing videos that uh, I don't know actually what's going to happen to them. Um, <laughs> he's going to have to donate them to, maybe yeah. donate them to your podcast, but he's got a whole library of all sorts of fencing videos from 
you know, Romankov taking yeah. a lesson from Smirnov being killed to, uh, you know, a whole range of things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, I mean, the, the old one occasionally appears on, on Facebook. Uh, I think so, but I think he, he doesn't like uh, the idea of sharing them on Facebook <laughs> right. or, or YouTube. It's his own collection. Yeah. But, you know, I suppose eventually he, he's going to have to let the knowledge out and mm-hmm. do something with them. Be interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly will. So, at, at what point did you realise that you could be properly good at the sport? Um, I did a lot of work behind the scenes without much success. And I think it was when I started growing, so about 15 or 16, when I became quite tall, you know, about six foot, six foot one. And then I started to make some decent results. And then they just came thick and fast. You know, I won the British title, British champs uh, in 2001 when I was 17. And then I got an under-20 world final soon after, senior final 2003, Olympic final 04. So from pretty early on, I realized there was a future um, if we could get some funding, which then came soon after, that uh, I could actually make it as a professional sportsman. Mm -hmm. So was there a a particular event that made you think... You know, this this could be a not really a particular a no, not a particular event, but it was just around an era, around mm. two thousand to two thousand and four, where you know I'd done all this work and nothing had happened. Yeah. It was all dormant, and then all of a sudden, my uh, performance you know exponentially increased. Yeah, so right. it was around about that period. I thought you know we could actually look at doing this full time. Yeah. yeah. So you you mentioned the funding part. British fencing's world class program came to an end last year. Mm. But you've been on the on the program in, in one form or another pretty much throughout its entire time. Is that not right? Well, actually, I, it was about two thousand and three when I got that top eight in the world champs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was on nothing up until then. Yeah, and then I think British fencing had some savings, and they had scholarships for four athletes. And I remember after that top eight, I was switched with James Beavers. So right. there was a bit of animosity there because he got mm. kicked out of his flat basically because I took his money. <laughs> but it, it was done on, you know, performance yeah, reasons. Yeah, so yeah. no hard feelings in, in hindsight. So I, for a year and a half, I got some funding from British fencing. And then after my top eight in Athens, then UK sport came and they funded me until, well, just last year to yeah. 2017. And then the whole thing collapsed and I was a little bit worried, but within, you know, half a year, I'd managed to find some, uh, private sponsors and the, the main one is Leon Paul I've had some anonymous donors that don't want to be named but I've, the main one is Leon Paul and they're giving me a lot of money to uh, to carry on doing the season so I've got my own budget now mm. and I've got a lot more freedom because I can train how I like I can plan my own trips and it's working out for the best you know all the politics is now gone yeah so you, you mentioned politics and you know, having more freedom I mean how do you, how do you define the world class program aside from having some money uh, well I mean the to be honest, the money was the only thing I really rated about it. It was UK sport. You know, they they're, they're very successful. They've had a model that does clearly work. If you look at the last medals table in in the Olympics, Britain is second. Britain is very good at measuring things yeah. in sports where you know you swim from A to B, or throw something, or cycle from A to B, or run from A to B. They they've really nailed that. But uh, in the creative sports, I think. From my time in fencing, it wasn't the best model. It was, they were just trying to take that kind of model from swimming or cycling into fencing and it yeah. didn't work, you know, measuring how fast you can run up and down the piste or how much you can lift in the gym and then wondering why it didn't equate to yeah. the yeah. art of fencing. Results, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Has it changed how you train or have you pretty much almost regardless of um, UK sports. To be honest, I was always I was always just trying to do my own thing yeah. and just be external to it and <laughs> just try and 
you know, go ahead with my own thing. But I did run into a few problems. Mm. But I mean, my training now is fairly, fairly standard. I do a bit of cycling, a lesson, you know, warm up, then a lesson, a bit of sparring, a warm down. But for practical reasons, we do one long session. So when we're abroad doing training camps, you know, we do two sessions when you yeah. don't have to worry about things like washing up and buying food and washing your clothes and all that yeah. stuff. Real, real life doesn't intrude. Yeah, here real life, you know, intrudes a bit. You know, a lot of people study or do a bit of coaching on the side. So for practical reasons, we do one session, but it's a very long session. Uh, Monday to Friday, weekends off. And that seems to be quite a, a steady amount of training. Mm. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Consistency. Yeah, absolutely. If you do it properly and if you're regular with that and if you're professional as well, you know, I don't mean turning up at the last minute and doing your lesson. You have to properly warm up, cool down afterwards. You have to really re respect your own body. Mm. And then that seems to be a decent amount of training. And then you'll get the longevity. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned about, uh, what, you know, what's been good for your body. Do you miss things like the support of, um, from what you said, I don't get a feeling you particularly miss the strength and conditioning coaching side of things and the nutritionist, perhaps, psychologists, I'm not sure. Um, physio support, is that something that... Uh... <laughs> um, I've become independent, to be honest. I've I found out how to stretch. I look at tutorials online. I, I've got foam rollers and tennis balls, hockey balls, various sticks and things to, to stretch with. And I generally can now solve all my problems myself yeah. because I've been injured so many times. I always <laughs> take a note of what the physiotherapist does, you know, what, what they stretch, what they ice, you know, what they yeah. strengthen. And it seems to be everything, you know, everything's touch wood under control. Occasionally I need a bit of extra help. And, um, uh, a few weeks ago when we were in, where was it? It was St. Petersburg. I had a bit of problems, you know, had a problem with my back. So Jamek paid the Polish physio, gave him a few quid and he treated me. But in general, I, I can get away without doing that. You know, it's a bit of a double-edged sword having a physio. It's good to have, but then I saw when we had a physio here, a lot of kids were taking, you know, two massages a day and then becoming yeah. very psychologically reliant on the physio mm -hmm. to sort of mother them. To fix them. Yeah. To fix them. In a combat sport where you need to train some kind of mental resilience is not always the best thing. Mm -hmm. But then I do understand, you know, if you are really injured, you, yes. need, yeah, yeah. you would need you it. Yeah. Support. Yeah, For sure. Yeah. I mean, so that's something that you've, uh, I can't remember what it was, you, you pointed at uh, a sal you did, a, I think, a training camp, but that was kind of really basic. And you said you ah, kind of yes, a, yeah. an admiration I, for that. Yeah, it was in Italy. It was like a little rocky gym, yeah. but a fencing. Well, it was actually almost a, a rocky gym because there was a uh, boxing it, ring yeah. in the corner. It was a combat sport sort of. It was very dingy, very run down. And it, that kind of hardship and that kind of mental toughness is what you get there from, from that kind yeah. of rocky training. As soon as you start getting all scientific, getting all these spreadsheets out, graphs out in these lovely, you know, uh, glass walled offices, you're starting to get a little bit removed from the fact that it's a fight. It's two people, two men yeah. conditioned trying to beat each other with weaponry. That's yeah. psychologically very daunting. Yeah. And you can't sugarcoat that, right? Yeah. So yeah, that, that was a post I made on Facebook a little while back. Um, yeah, we used to do this training camp with the Italians in Cecina in yeah. Italy. And yeah, it, it really was a rocky gym, which I liked. <laughs> <laughs> so you've had a, I mean, you've had a long and distinguished career. Yet another, yet another Grand Prix win in Shanghai just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, sort of belated congratulations. On yeah, that. thanks. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it wasn't easy this time. Last time it was easy when I won it. You know, some days everything goes to plan mm. and it's, it's like a dream. This time it was a, it was a real war, but I managed to stick in there. Yeah. I won two matches 15-14, two matches 15-13. So it was, 
it wasn't easy all the way. The first match was actually as hard as the last oh, match yeah. as well. That shows how many good fences there are out there. Yeah. To be fair, he first one was against what, a former Olympic champion. So. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, he's very clever. He's always changing his tactics and I changed, he changed. I mean, we did say that we were talking about the your performance in Shanghai in the last last episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had said that your previous year's win at Shanghai mm-hmm. had looked easy. I mean, just in prime form, yeah. sweeping all before him, whereas this yeah. looked a proper... This was a fight. A grim, <laughs> a grim struggle from but start both, to finish. Both were a win, right? Yeah, exactly. A win's a win. Exactly. Um, so I, think, I think what I said then was almost a more commendable thing to be able to win when you're not quite fencing at your very best. Yeah, it's called winning ugly. Yeah, <laughs> yes. You have to just grit <laughs> your teeth and... I didn't quite want to use that phrase, but yeah. since you bring it up yourself, yeah. That's yeah, it. you know, you have to... That, you that's have how to, it... have to be in the fight. And I'll tell you what's interesting. After um, after St. Petersburg, I went to Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan to... You know, I love exploring, and I was told by some contact out there I could go and fence in his club. And I got there, and I kept sending him emails and texts, and he completely blanked me. So I thought, I've got to do something. You know, I've got two weeks in between these competitions and I've got no one to train with. So I did a good half hour jog every day and I went back to the hotel room, put a towel on the chair, did half an hour, you know, lunch pad training on the chair, a few stretches, exercises. And I realized it was at altitude, not too high up, but it's about a kilometer up those cities, oh, yeah. Almaty, yeah. Bishkek. And I get the feeling that my body may have adapted to, uh, you know, make some more red blood cells. Uh-huh. Because under pressure, when we were both fatigued, yeah. like, you, me and my opponent, it seemed like I had always come up with the right decision at 14 or 14, 13 down or, or whatever. And maybe it was something to do with that. We, we've never actually looked into altitude training. No, it's not something that ever really gets no, up. No, you wouldn't really find a fencing cell that high up, I suppose. Well, not, not usually, no. Not, not in Europe. Yeah. Um, I remember we used to train in Austria, and we train at, you know, sea level, but there were mountains there. And I, one day we went up the mountain. It was about two kilometers up and it was noticeable that there was no air there. Yeah. And when you come back down, it's like you're breathing custard. So yeah, maybe it's something to look into next time. It's a bit of scientific research for, uh, for fencing to consider. Yeah. yeah. Cause I think there's about 5% less oxygen, a kilometer up. So yeah. you're going to have some adaptation, you know, adaption. Yeah. Um, make more red blood cells, and then as you come down to sea level, that could help. Yeah, well, we'll see see how many people start advertising, uh, <laughs> starting regular training camps at uh, high altitudes. Yeah, uh, following following your suggestion. Sure, sure. As we said, I mean, you've you've been doing this for quite a long time. Twenty four years. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you're man uh, and boy. <laughs> exactly. So, what, what inspires you to keep going? Probably the fear of getting a proper job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've spoken to a few people about that. I, I think my suggestion to Alex Marcialis when I spoke to him in Paris was try and avoid uh, yeah, real yeah. work for as long as you possibly can. That's what my dad said to me. He, he said, son, I worked 40 years, day and night. If you can get out of it, <laughs> then escape the rat <laughs> yeah, piece. I've done that. I wouldn't recommend it, it at all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, you know what? It's a, it's a tough life being a professional sportsman, but it's a good life. You, you, know, you, you can't do sport for... 12 hours a day so we, we train in the morning for about five hours we get a lot of time to pursue hobbies and do other things and we get the chance to travel the world so it's a very privileged lifestyle actually yeah yeah i'm, I'm to be honest i'm enjoying it now yes. really enjoying it there's no pressure there's no meetings performance plans hmm. all this stuff i'm just having fun just do your own thing and you'll probably it. do better ironically whilst enjoying it yeah so i mean the last few years have been uh well really a tremendous period for you fencing and super consistent near the yeah 
very top end of the of the world rankings, yeah. World Cup and Grand Prix wins all over the place. It's of course, once you get a world ranking in the top sixteen, it's a bit of a protectionist club. So once you're in there, yeah, it, it does protect you. When you fall out, it can get quite difficult to get back in. It's yes. very hard to break into that top sixteen. But once you're up there, your draw, you know, you'll miss the first day. Your draws will be easier every time. Mm. So yeah, sort of success breeds success. I think in that respect. Yeah. Talk a little bit about this when we're talking about Shanghai, the difference mm. between this year's win and the previous year's win, where, where last year it looked, it made it look mm. easy. Yeah. When you have days like that, do, does it feel different? I mean, do you just, you know. Yeah, it does. It feels like, uh, feels like a bit of a dream, to be honest. Mm. Yeah. And if I could find the formula, the secret to recreating that <laughs> yeah. every time. Sadly, be, I, don't, I don't know that it exists. I don't think it exists. <laughs> no, of course it doesn't. You have to, I mean, I, I read one book of, uh, someone, uh, a tennis player, was saying some days he got up in the morning and he'd hit the tennis ball and it'd be like a grapefruit. So mm. he'd, he'd, wherever he'd go for it, it would be in the middle of the racket. Yeah. Other days it'd be like a little pebble. Yeah. And he could never explain from one day to the, the next why is, why that difference occurred. Maybe it's some kind of, I don't know, fatigue in the brain or something. But yeah, when you're on it, it's like a dream. Anything you go for, you get. And then you get more confidence to go for some more sort of trick shots, more yeah. elaborate stuff, and it all works. And other days, you know, you're there in the 64, really struggling to get through the first match. Yeah. So, yeah, it does feel different. But, you know, I... But, but you've, never, you've never found a, a, a reason for why it happens one day and not the other. I'd be a millionaire if I found that out. Yes, that's true, actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's... That's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. Clearly enjoying your fencing, clearly enjoying yeah. the kind of... Your freedom of not being part of a... Yeah. A, a program that's led by somebody else, that's directed by other people. Mm-hmm. Was there ever a point where you thought about quitting? The programme? Fencing. Fencing? Mm. Well, I mean, in terms of quitting the programme, I was uh, I was a little bit... I was resisting the programme, but it was like a Cold War. And if I would have quit, like uh, James mm. Honeybone did, mm. then all of a sudden it would have got very nasty. It would have been a hot war. And uh, even though I don't think the programme were... That that happy with me winning if I would have overtly criticised the program whilst it was um, in place, like ha- what happened to James Honeybone. Yeah, then it got very nasty with him. Believe me, I saw them completely putting him off in one European Championships, and it would have really escalated. So I I didn't really agree with all the decisions being made, but I just you know kept quiet. I needed the money because yeah. it, it would have been a lot of work to uh, uh, get the money from elsewhere, and I just somehow got on with the job. In terms of quitting fencing. I mean, when when I used to fence earlier on, I used to be a bit more emotionally attached to it. So a bad result, I'd think, oh, I want to quit. And then when you're when you're high, you're really euphoric after winning something. Now I'm a little bit more of a flatliner. I'm a little <laughs> bit uh, emotionally uh, removed from it. Uh-huh. So, uh, so what, what, the highs aren't so high. The lows aren't so crippling. Yeah, low. Kind of so, more, more business-like, perhaps. Yeah, playing the percentages, a bit more business-like. You know, I know in a season there's a good chance I'll win something. And at some point, I'll go out in the 64. I just, you know, accept the, <laughs> accept what was probably going to come my way. Um, no, I'm going to carry on to 2020 and then it's, it's definitely over then. It's right. time to, to move on. I think if I could do five Olympics, that would be more than I could have ever asked for. But I think it would probably be laboring the point if I went for my sixth <laughs> or seventh Olympics, you know. I tell you what it's like. It's a bit like, um, end of train spotting, Mark Renton. Uh-huh. He says, you know, I'm going to be completely normal. I'm going to be like you. Yeah. I'm going to have the football team that never wins. I'm going to wake up on Sunday morning wondering who the hell I am. <laughs> the three-piece suite, the job, you know. Yeah. Oh, I'm, okay. I'm excited. The giant TV and terrified as well. Yeah. <laughs>
having sort of well, no publicly announced that that's that's, that's going to be the end of the. Oh, I've made no oh, secret. You know, it is, yeah, it's one more cycle. You know, two more years left now, mm. and then it's uh, it'll be time to do other things. I think. Okay. Do you have plans for what those other things might? No, I don't actually. Yeah. I've got I've got many options open from retiring in Cuba. <laughs> yeah. To uh, well, if I want to make a lot of money, I suppose I could try and sell the knowledge in some rich country, or I could stay here and you know maybe bring up a family here. There, it's it's completely open, but I think that would probably be enough. You know, I'll be thirty seven mm. after the next Olympics, and that would probably be a good time to uh, to call it quits. During the course of your your career, you've you've kind of covered more than a single generation of fences, if you like. Yeah. Is there is there any particular fencer or fencers that you've admired during that time? Yeah, there are lots of fences I've admired um, for different reasons. When I was a boy, we used to train with the Polish national team a lot. And um, I remember uh, Kilpikowski, you know him, yeah. the, the referee now. Yeah. Um, he was a great fencer, had a great flesh, great one-two on him, very classical. In an era where everyone was flicking, he was yeah. still trying to retain the, the character of the sport and he... He was brilliant. And then the, the current Russian coach, uh, Nasser Berlin, mm. I used to admire him for being absolutely perfect with his legs. His, his footwork yeah. was something like you'd see in a, a textbook of fencing. <laughs> but then that said, those two people I've mentioned, they were good, but they didn't win too much. Like, yeah. People like Jopik and Sanzo, who didn't look that neat, but were good fighters, mm. um, I also admire because... Ultimately, it is a fight, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. There aren't judges telling you how pretty you look when you yeah. get a lunge Lose, or whatever. prizes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there are lots of people I admire for different reasons. Kasara, he's won the most amount of World Cups of any... Yeah, numbers. Yeah, about at least 30, I would have thought. Yeah, I thought it was about to check the other day, about 37 or something. 37? Yeah, it's a My God. Number. Yeah, it's a lot. That's, uh, <laughs> that's quite a lot, yeah. Yeah, incredible numbers. Um, you've touched on this a little bit, the travel documentaries that you do mm. your travel vlogs yeah um, uh, I've really enjoyed them it's just well I'm pleased someone has <laughs> uh, yeah yeah well I mean it, it all strikes me strange you, you produce these tremendous documentaries pop them up on Facebook about your only yeah. uh, seemingly only, only interaction with social media and then you leave them alone and everyone yeah. goes oh look at that it was great and then people share them all over the place yeah 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 um, t- tell me a bit more about them well you know I just love how, how did they start James Davis and I I mean, James is very similar to me. We love traveling to weird places, you know, and we started going on holiday to just the most bizarre places like Kosovo, Bosnia, yeah. uh, Romania. And then after a while, we thought, well, we should start, you know, making some kind of, uh, we should start filming it and start, you know, showing people because people are genuinely intrigued. The yeah. average Brit doesn't want to go there, right? The, the average Brit wants to go to Falaraki or yeah. Magaluf. But or we're happy for you to go there and tell us about it. Yeah, yeah. sure. But, you know, for the, the idea of me going sitting on a beach somewhere, mm. you know, it's, it's, it's not the kind of holiday I want. It's, I want some. I want to get my hands dirty. Yeah. I want to feel like I've almost died going somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, I don't get the adrenaline. So, uh, yeah, I just love exploring and, uh, you know, I've been to some really odd places. I just regret I haven't made more documentaries of some of the weird places I went to. Like, for example, last year... I went to, uh, we had a European champs in Georgia mm. and I always try and use it as, as an excuse to go and see somewhere else because yeah. the way we work, we usually do a lot of training and then the week before we taper right down. And, and yeah. it, so in that week, it's a good week to travel just to get your head straight. You don't really need to fence too much. You just do a bit of stretching. And I went to uh, Armenia before to Yerevan and then did a little bus journey through the mountains. It yeah. was absolutely fantastic and just something completely off the beaten track. Yeah. I just regret not making any, you know, documentaries about that kind of, uh, some other places I've been to. 
Um, but if you've got any ideas about the next one, oh no, actually, I've got an idea about the next one. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, uh, should, should, some... I, should I tell you where I'm going in the summer? Yes, please. North Korea. Really? I've paid my deposit, yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, but will you be allowed to film there? As far as I know, you can film there, but you can't film any military unless well, you're in yeah. DMZ, which is a, it's a different rule there. So you can't film military. You can film the things they sh- take you to see. Right. And I don't think you can say anything critical no. of, uh, of the regime. So I'm going to have to probably uh, tone down my... Uh, my travel guides a little bit in North Korea. <laughs> yeah, because some of them have been fairly... Yeah, yeah you, you don't hold back any about the places that you go to. Yeah. Well, you know what? I, I like comedy. I like uh, dark comedy. I don't wish any harm on anyone, no. but I like having a laugh. And, you know, I can accept it on myself, right? I had the, the boss of the Oxford Student Union come here and, you know, he asked to, if I could take part in one of his videos. Right. And he made me look like an idiot, paint my face like a dog. But, you know, I... I was happy to, you know, make, a, make fun of myself. And I think that you need to do that if you're going to, if you're going to ridicule other people. As, uh, yeah. as long as you're prepared to accept it on yourself, then I think it gives it some justification. Yeah. 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 Oh, well, I really look forward to your, your, your next one then from, yeah. from North Korea. That yeah. If, be, I, if I make it out, yeah. We, <laughs> as long as you get your SD card with the, with the film on it, that'll be fine. Somebody else can do the editing. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Sorry. Sorry you didn't get out successfully. But, <laughs> as long as and, and did you want a poster from there? Did you say you want Please, a poster? Yeah. I'll, I'll get yeah, you a poster. Get me a couple of those from great. floor 13, yeah. That's the one. That's the one. That's yeah. the one. <laughs> so you announced, what, just over a year ago now that you would, uh, no longer be fencing in, Team events for mm. for Great Britain. I, I did ask you about this at the time, mm. and your explanation seemed perfectly reasonable to me. But yeah. um, I'll ask the question again for for the benefit of our mm. of our listeners: um, Is that a decision you're you're sticking with? Uh, and if it is, why? The, well, I mean, the trouble was the last Olympic cycle. I knew that the best chance to go was in the team. You know, to go to the Olympics, mm-hmm. and as a result, I ended up holding back in the individual which was a little bit frustrating to me because I wanted to, I just want to go for it now in the individual. Yeah. But I ended up, you know, having to do the first day, then the 64. And then in order to be fresh enough to get some kind of result in the team event, the third day, which is very demanding, fencing yeah. three days in a row, I had to actually hold back in the individual, which was a little bit frustrating, which I'm not doing now. Um, but the trouble, the trouble was, in this Olympic cycle, men's foil didn't seem like it was going to be in the Olympics. Yeah. Then all of a sudden last year it was announced that they've secured all the medals for for all the sports in yeah. uh, in, in yeah, fencing. For all the weapons, yeah. So it's changed the dynamic a little bit now because if uh, if I go as an individual, if I just concentrate on the individual, then it might uh, put the team in jeopardy. I mean, I'm prepared to to negotiate a little bit. I I get on very well with the you know my teammates. It, it was nothing to do with them. It was nothing personal mm. against them. I think this has to be their project, but if they want me to come back and do maybe a Worlds or a Europeans or, or later on in the season, if they really need a result, if it's if it looks like qualification is possible, I'm very happy to come back and try and, you know, just steer the ship in the right direction. But it has to be their project, you know. I'm not yeah. going to manage the team or anything like this. This has to be them do, doing the team events. And I mean, if they want that, that is, mm-hmm. because I'm aware it could be... Uh, slightly problematic if I just go for individual qualification and then it rules out everyone else Yeah, because I'm not fencing in the team. And also, like, when I decided not to do the team, they it was when the pathway had collapsed. So yeah. <laughs> I thought if I'm going to pay for my own uh, travel and everything, 
then I at least want to enjoy it completely. Yeah, so that's our combination of circumstances where yeah. at that point it was, like, there was no no team event at the Olympics for men's foil. Yeah, and suddenly yeah, being yeah pitched out on your own with with no world class program but funding. The, the other problem with the team events is that. With the individual, it's a maximal effort competition. You, you push as hard as you can. If you lose, that's it. If you're through, then you have some incentive to fight on. With those team events, when you lose, you have to still fence off another three matches. Yeah. It's like fencing hell. That's what Donnie McKenzie said. He was called it fencing hell. So you can't win the competition, but you have to yeah, still fence still, on. Still so. there at the end of the day. Go yeah, it, it was a, out for 15th place or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember what Germany used to do. They were clever. They used to, they used to go for it. And if they lost, they'd say, right, we're all injured. Right, <laughs> can I go home now? Yeah. <laughs> yes, you can. All right. <laughs> and, that, and there was one good story. One time there was a European champs, and actually we beat them there. It was in uh, 2010, and they said they did the usual thing. They said, "Right, we're injured. We're going home." Because it was in Germany, uh, the the president of German fencing wasn't happy, so uh-huh. he ran on the bus, got them off the bus, <laughs> and put their kit back on and fence. <laughs> yes, I don't care if you're injured or not, yeah. and I really know that you're not. Yeah, 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 but yeah. get on with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's brutal. Okay, Richard. Well. Thank you very much indeed for yep. taking the time to speak Pleasure, today. absolute pleasure. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. European Championships and World Championships still to come this, this season? Yep, absolutely. Yep. Look, looking forward to them? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm flying to Romania, doing a little trip through Hungary to get to Novi Sad, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then uh, straight after, it was about four weeks after, we, we're going to Wuxi. Yeah. Um, for the world challenge. Are you coming? No, I'm afraid not. No, no, too much, too much time and expense. I'm afraid to do this one. Not even Euros? Uh, no, I didn't. Well, you know, we've got, a, we've got a global audience, Richard. I can't yeah. do the Europeans. <laughs> so I just have to hold on until uh, Budapest next year for the, for the world championship. Oh, is that where it is? Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Did I tell you, you get, you know, you're getting old when the venues double up. You've been back again. For, yeah. I've been to Leipzig for the worlds in 05, Leipzig for the worlds in 2017. Now Budapest, Budapest is going to be. Yeah. I mean, that must be your third worlds in Budapest, I think. Uh, no, no, second. All right. Okay. Cause the last one was not that long ago. Well, yeah. yeah it was 2013, wasn't it? Yeah, when so, Miles won it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, reason to go to Budapest. Great. Excellent, excellent. Well, yeah. we'll, we'll both, pers- both persevere then. And yes. I'll see you beforehand. Marvellous. I will see you next year's World Championship. Yeah. Richard, thanks very much. Thank you very time. much. Cheers. Cheers.